from originally from California. Been in uh, my family's been in Nebraska now for eight years, and uh, we're very thankful to be here. Love doing ministry in Columbus and the surrounding areas, and uh, just are very grateful to be be here. Mark chapter four. We'll be looking at verses thirty-five to forty-one. A very familiar story of a storm with Jesus and his disciples. And as we consider this text this morning, I was thinking back to one of the storms I experienced early on in my time here in Nebraska. I had some friends come out from Southern California. They were originally from the Midwest, but had grown accustomed to California, where I'll admit, weather's pretty boring in California. Nebraska, we have it much better out here. California's boring. It's uh, average temperatures, it's warm. Well, we picked them up from the airport. It was a pretty calm day in February. And yet there was this little cell of a snowstorm just as we were leaving the airport. We went from calm to what was like basically whiteout conditions. And I was driving my minivan. It was my friend, his wife, and they had two of their kids. And we were going along the road. Suddenly the storm hit, and we couldn't see anything. Whiteout conditions. Trucks were flying off the road into ditches. I couldn't tell where I was going. You know those little bumps in the road? That was the only way I knew I was in the middle. Because I go to one side, go to the other side, my friend would get, okay. And we're just going through, and I'm thinking, they must love it here in Nebraska, visiting their dear friends. And I looked in my mirror, and in the back was my friend's wife. And she was as white as the snow outside. She was just sitting here going, why are we here? We don't love you this much. To give our lives on the road. Well, we made it through. Suddenly about by the time we hit the highway, it was uh, calm again, and Columbus was calm as well. And they haven't visited my family since. <laughs> I think all of us, especially if you've grown up in Nebraska, have some sort of good storm story. Storms can be pretty brutal out here. And in life, storms can be pretty brutal as well, whether it's a literal storm or, if you say figuratively, a storm. We think of storms in our lives, trials, difficulties, hard times. And I, I trust you as young people, some of you have had more of those than others. Some of you can tell of times in your life where things have been very rocky, very crazy, and God has brought you through those. Or maybe some of you this morning were in the midst of one of those. Others of you maybe not have the same experience. Maybe you are still going, well, I, my life's been pretty calm. It's been pretty easy to this point. And the question this morning is, if you've gone through storms, how did you respond how did you respond when you've gone through difficulty in life, when you've gone through a trial? Did you respond in fear? Did you ever pray to God and ask the question, Lord, do you care about my situation? Do you care about me? That's the question on the lips of the disciples in the storms that they encountered on the Sea of Galilee in our text this morning. Lord, do you care? And it reveals a lot to us about where the disciples were at as they were following the Lord at this point in his ministry. I trust if you're familiar with the scriptures, the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee is very familiar. Maybe for some of you it's a new story. We find it in Mark and his gospel as he's trying to show us who Christ is. We just sang a song about the glory of Christ, that Jesus would be glorified. And Mark's gospel was written so that we as readers would read it and see the glory of this man, Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see God in flesh. We're going to see the one who is true God and true man and his ministry to the disciples. And 
this amazing miracle on the Sea of Galilee. We're also going to see that he's training his disciples at this point. These men are very young, you might say, in our terminology today, in the faith. They are still trying to figure out Jesus. They are still trying to believe upon him completely. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him do these miraculous things. And yet we see in this story, they still struggle to believe in him. They still struggle with their faith. And what we see in this text is that Jesus uses a storm to grow them. He uses what happens on the Sea of Galilee this evening to grow them in their walk with him. And so we're going to consider this morning how God uses storms in our lives to grow us as we worship him, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. So let me uh, read the passage, and then we'll make some notes about it, and then get to an outline at the end of our time this morning. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, is where I'll begin to read. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As I said, let's consider this story, some of the details, what's going on here, and then we'll get to an outline that I trust and pray is practical for us this morning. If you look at verse 35, this is the end of a very long day for Jesus. Our Savior has been teaching, our Savior has been performing miracles, our Savior has been confronted by the enemies, the religious leaders of Israel at the time. He's been around people all day. It's been a very, very long day. And now it's time, as you see there in verse 35 and 36, to get away from the crowds and get some time alone with the disciples. On the one hand, as we see in the text, Jesus needs this time for himself. But also for the disciples. He needs time with them alone to teach them and to train them. They can't spend every waking moment with the crowds. And so you see there that they get into a boat. Jesus had already been teaching from a boat. The disciples get in, and he and some other boats head across the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus uh, would have been on a boat. It would have held about 15 people. So you'd have Jesus, you'd have the 12 disciples, and then you'd have these other boats join in as they're heading across the lake. Now they're heading over, as you see there, at evening. This would have been the time where it was very rare to have a storm. That was when the sea would have been calm. That's what makes verse 37 so surprising. And notice the language there in your Bible. Or maybe you have a different translation, but you'll see the same point. There arose a fierce gale of wind. Waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. The Sea of Galilee was known for these hurricane-like storms. It was this very low lake, 700 feet below sea level. 
surrounded by the mountains. And what would happen is the cold wind from the mountains would come down, mixed with the hot air around the lake, and you'd have these massive storms. And so this was common, yet it wasn't common at night. It's very surprising. Why a storm now? What's taking place? We see here that the, the winds were fierce. We see that the boat was filling with water. And again, I think for us, from our perspective, we, we read this story and we kind of think, well, it's a lake, and well, this is a big lake. This is miles, miles long. I believe about 13 miles long. And so as the boat is filling up, the disciples are fearful not just for their comfort, they're fearful for their lives. You can imagine the picture, the wind fiercely blowing. Some disciples trying to maneuver the boat. Some disciples trying to get water out of the boat. The sound of the wind, the sounds of the waves crashing. All of them yelling and crying out for help. It would be a, a, a scene of chaos. A scene of fear. Again, they're fearful for their lives. They're not simply thinking that they're going to survive this. And so you consider that, and we might ask as readers, if we hadn't read through it, well, where's Jesus? Is he joining with them, getting a pail, trying to get the water out? Is he the captain of the ship trying to steer it? No, verse 38. He was asleep, New American Standard says, on a cushion. What? Jesus is asleep? Any of you ever slept really hard through a storm? I slept through whatever happened last night. I think we got some rain, lightning, thunder. Remember the context. Jesus has had a very long day. I was actually thinking about this this past summer. Um, I had the privilege of going to, uh, on a mission trip with my church to South Africa. And how many of you, if you've gone on a, plane, a long plane ride, how many of you sleep well on planes? How many of you have, how many of you gone on a long plane flight? Okay, some of you. How many of you sleep well? None of you do. How many of you sleep horrible? You don't sleep at all. Okay. I thought I slept well, and then I went on a 10-hour flight. It was two 10-hour flights, and I didn't sleep at all. I just stared at the same movie over and over and over again. Because your brain's fried, but you can't sleep. It's really annoying. Well, we finally made it to the States, and we had a few small domestic flights. And I remember one of the flights, it was, I think, from L.A. to Phoenix, I believe it was. A very, like a two-hour flight. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, about an hour flight. And I remember I was out. I got into it, I got a window seat, and I was gone. I don't remember what happened between Los Angeles and Phoenix. I was, I was just out. And I consider that with what Jesus is doing here. Remember, we see our Savior, who is true God, fully God, and yet we understand that Jesus is fully man, true man. God in human flesh. Here we see His humanity. He is exhausted. He's been serving men. He's been serving sinners, and now he's on this boat in the midst of this hurricane-like storm, and he's asleep. And the disciples, you notice here, don't come to him and shake him, or, hey guys, let's, let's quietly wake him up. They're yelling and screaming, and you, you, you would think even pushing him to wake him up. And notice in verse 38, they are accusing him of indifference. Instead of asking Christ for help, they're rebuking the King of Israel. They're rebuking the Son of God. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're accusing him of indifference. Jesus, have you forgotten about us? This is the one who has 
chosen these men. This is the one who has gone through confrontations with the religious leaders with these men. This is the one who has loved them and taught them, has cared for them, and now they say, do you really care for us? We are perishing here on the boat and you're asleep on the cushion. Well, we see Jesus' response, verse 39. He got up. And notice in verse 39 just how sort of how quickly this all happens. Jesus gets up. He says to the wind and to the sea, hush, be still. The wind died down. It became perfectly calm. This has been a mega storm and now it's mega calm. With a word, suddenly the storm's gone. The sea is calm. A perfect calm. It didn't just gradually die down over time. Jesus spoke. The Creator of the universe spoke. And His creation obeyed. And the storm calmed down, was gone, and the sea was calm. He turned the chaos with His power into calm. He who created nature, who created the sea. What we see in verse 39 is the contrast even to some degree of verse 38. We saw His humanity and now we see that He is divine. Jesus is the divine Son of God. The only one who can control creation is God. That means that Jesus is God. True God, true man. We see this picture of Jesus in this narrative. God incarnate. That is the object of our faith, and we'll say a few words in a moment about that. Well, finally, as we finish up the narrative here, verse 40, Jesus confronts it. Again, He knew the storm was coming. Jesus knew. He wasn't at all afraid. But He uses the opportunity to teach these men. They're in the process of following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Again, Jesus is using a storm to teach these men, and He says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He lovingly but firmly confronts their unbelief. Why are you fearful when you have the Son of God in the boat with you? When you have the One who has again exercised demons, the One who has healed the sick and done many other miracles, why are you doubting Me, Jesus says to them? As they were considering the whole situation, verse 41, we see one more response here. They became very much afraid. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? One author has described this as the storm after the calm. For what we find with these men is they are more fearful at the end of this story than they were in the midst of the storm. Why? Because God is in the boat. They understand as sinful human beings that they are in the presence of the Holy One. They are in the presence of the Son of God. And so rightfully so, they are afraid. And they're asking the question, who is this? And they know the answer. That even the wind and the sea obey Him. Well, now that we understand the narrative a bit, what do we do with this? We can look at it and say it's another nice story. Again, this is one of those stories that I trust. If you've grown up in the church or been around the Scriptures, you, you've heard this before. And the main purpose of the story is to remind us of who Jesus is. And, and I would tell you students this morning, some of you that maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this text is a reminder, as we see from the disciples at the end, that you are a sinner, that God is holy, that there is an appropriate response to God to say, if I'm a sinner and He's a holy God, I should be fearful because I'm not forgiven, because I'm still in my sins, because I understand the penalty and the consequences for that sin. And this text is saying there is a Savior, 
And it's describing this Savior in great detail. He is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty Son of God, sent so that He might serve sinners by dying on the cross for their sins. We see a demonstration of His power in this text, but this is all looking to the very end of the Gospel story. This is looking to the end of what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the ending? Jesus dies taking the penalty of sin, and He rises powerfully from the dead. We sang about it earlier. If you're a Christian, that is the object of your faith. If you're not a Christian, I would tell you this morning, turn from your sins and trust in Him. Rely upon the One who you see in this text, true God, true man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only One that can bring salvation. He is the only One that can bring forgiveness of sins in your life. But what else can we learn from this narrative? And this is where I want to just spend a few more minutes considering the benefits of storms. Not necessarily literal storms, but this text, again, teaches us that God uses difficulties, God uses trials, God uses such things in our lives to grow us. And so what are some of the benefits? When we go through difficult times, and again, you as students may all be at different places this morning, different experiences. How does God use difficulties or storms in our lives for His glory and for our good? We're just going to see briefly three benefits. Number one, storms reveal our expectations. Storms reveal our expectations. You might consider the disciples for a moment. Peter, James, John, Matthew, the list goes on, the twelve. These men were chosen by Jesus specifically for the task of eventually continuing on His ministry. Jesus has actually already told these men, you know, I speak to the crowds one way, but you get the good stuff. You, you, you are on the inside. You are learning the ways of God. And you might think that for the twelve, they might think, you know, we're doing pretty well. This is going to be an easy road. This is going to be nice. We're going to, Jesus is the King. Jesus is God. We're going, to, we're going to go all the way to glory. It's going to be the smooth path to glory. Well, they go through an experience like this, and they're reminded the path of following Jesus is not easy. It is not comfortable. This is a small reminder of that. Do you understand, students, this morning, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not guaranteed a very simple, easy life? The Scripture is clear that God brings us through difficulties so that we may grow, so that we may love our Savior more. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 says it very simply this way. But He disciplines us. That's another word for trials. He brings trials in as a form of training, discipline, for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. Let me read that again. Hebrews 12.10 But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. In other words, one of the means that God uses to grow us is difficult times. We might say trials, affliction. In other words, as Christians, expect that. And this is not telling you to be glim or discouraged. This is telling you to say in the midst, and maybe this morning again, you're here saying, you know, myself, my family, I'm struggling with something at school, I'm struggling in a relationship, whatever it may be. Do you understand that if you're following Christ, God is doing a good thing in the midst of that. God has brought that into your life so that you may grow in holiness. One author said it this way, we shall thank God for every storm. And that's the appropriate response. God, I'm in the midst of this very difficult time. I don't like it, 
but I'm going to thank you because I know you're doing something in my life for your glory and for my good, for my growth. Number two, trials reveal our sin. Trials reveal our sin. Again, the temptation of the disciples at this point may have been, well, if he chose us, we must be pretty good. If he chose us, we must be pretty mature. Through the storm, they realize, as Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? It was through a storm that these men figured out that their faith wasn't where it needed to be. They figured out their unbelief. They figured out one of their problems. And that's one of the reasons why God brings difficulties into our lives. So that we may see our sin. We may see where we're weak, where we fail. It's very appropriate in the midst of difficulty to say, Lord, is there sin in my life? Is there, is there a blatant sin? Is there a sin that I have not turned from? That doesn't mean that the sin caused the trial, but it's appropriate in the midst of difficulty to say, Lord, teach me. Lord, I want to know where I'm failing You, where I'm displeasing You so that I may grow. Lord, use this storm as an instrument to sanctify me, to grow me in holiness, to rid me of sin, to grow me on the path of righteousness. And then lastly, trials reveal God. Trials reveal God. One of the things that we see in this passage is that we want to not just know God. We don't want to just simply say, well, yeah, I know about God. I can tell you facts. God is holy. Jesus is fully God, fully man. We want to know God intimately. We want to know God personally. We want to obey Him. We want to have what we often refer to as a relationship with Him. And one of the means that God uses is storms. So that we don't simply say, well, yeah, God is this, God is that. I learned that in theology class, or I learned that at church. I learned that in a sermon during chapel. We want to say, no, I know that's true. Because my God is the one I'm trusting in. For these disciples, they were learning that. They were learning more than just saying, yeah, this guy, he's pretty special. Now all of a sudden they were going, wait, this is God. This is the one who calmed a storm with a word. They were in this process of learning not about Jesus, but they were learning to know the Savior personally. I think often there was a, a few years back, uh, a friend of mine had a pretty major medical emergency, and I was talking with a pastor friend, and as we were thinking about going to visit him in the hospital, not knowing if he would even survive, my friend said to me, Mike, this is one of those times where we understand that our theology works. Because we can say, God is sovereign. God's in control. Isn't it different when you have someone you love and they're on their deathbed and you say, God's in control. I know I can trust God. I know that He cares for me. I know that He cares for that individual. There's a difference between God's in control to I know firmly and God, I pray to you knowing that you are in control and I knowing your love for me through Christ, I pray for my friend or my family, my loved one who is suffering. That's what God does in the midst of trials. We learn and we grow in our relationship with God, we don't simply say, yeah, I know facts about Him. He reveals His awesome ways to us, and we grow in our faith for His glory and His honor. You can jot down Job chapter 42, verse 5. Job, that Old Testament saint, after he had gone through a great, tremendous trial, he finally said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now... Now, God, that I've gone through this trial, now that I've, I've endured through this, now my eye sees you, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. 
For Job, he understood that it wasn't about knowing facts about God. He knew his God because of the trial, because of the difficulty. Well, again, this is not a, a passage like this is not always easy. It's not fun to talk about storms and trials. But again, as we said earlier, we want to learn to say, God, I thank you for this difficulty because you are in your love for me, in your care for me, you are training me, you are teaching me. And I pray for you as students that you would be learning that lesson. It's such an important lesson, especially at a young age, to say, Lord, I welcome trials because, God, I want to grow. I want holiness more than my comfort. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for a text like this, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, firstly, for this picture of your glorious nature, that, Jesus, you are the God-man, that, Lord Jesus, you are the object of our faith. We understand that you are the one who died for our sins. You are the one who took our sin, took the penalty that we deserved. You are the one who powerfully rose from the dead. You are the only Savior. And so, Lord, I pray for any here who do not know you, that, Jesus, they would place their faith in you today. I pray for those who do know you and are on this path of discipleship, of following in Christ, I pray that Jesus, you would teach them that they would have new expectations, that they would long to be holy and even welcome trials in your timing when, Lord, you in their lives seek to grow them for your glory and honor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, the wonderful listening of these students and for the school and all that they're learning. We give you praise and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.